From WAMU 88.5, this is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro. The name of our podcast is supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. This week, we're not so sure. Coming up, Metro failed to properly inspect the tracks before derailment in Northern Virginia. Plus, the tale of a Metro Transit officer arrested for trying to support ISIS. Yes, that ISIS. By sending e-gift cards? And with all this bad news, do you wish you lived and commuted in a different city, maybe like New York, with flat fares and 24-7 service? Well, before you say yes, we'll take a magical mystery tour of dysfunction and deterioration as Metropocalypse Episode 11 starts now. The D.C. Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. Customers should expect extended delays and crowded conditions on trains and platforms. subway lapalis, if you will, or subway apocalypse. You don't do the work on the train and the tracks in advance of when the breakdown happens. You are going to pay for it later. (laughs) It's not going to be pretty. Okay, we start this podcast with a message for you. Yes, you, the Metro complainer. Well, it's not like you don't have anything to complain about, right? Maybe you're stuck on a platform during single tracking. Or you're on a train in the middle of the tunnel and you're not going anywhere and the minutes of your life are ticking away. So you're thinking to yourself, well, why can't Washington be more like San Francisco and Budapest, Hungary, L.A., Tokyo, the New York City subway system? All right. Reality check time. Now, we used to think of Metro as America's subway. We could rattle off all the ways our system was superior to others, how much cleaner it was, how much more reliable it was, and of course, compared to New York, how much newer it was. Well, a little later, we'll compare the nation's second largest rail system, WMATA, to its bigger cousin, the New York City subway. We'll find out what elements of other city systems Metropocalypse listeners think we should borrow. But we'll begin with two words we never want to have in a conversation about our rail system. First, ISIS. This week, we learned that a Metro Transit officer had been arrested and charged with providing, or at least trying to provide, material support, according to prosecutors, to the Islamic State group. Okay, so the officer's name was Nicholas Young, 36 years old, lives in Fairfax, Virginia. He had been under surveillance for some time, several years. So prosecutors are charging Young with attempting to help ISIS seek recruits. And how do they say he was trying to do this? Well, for starters, let's first say that he actually apparently didn't get in touch with any real ISIS operatives. He was dealing with an undercover government agent. And he was sending e-gift cards, transmitting money through e-gift cards. So ISIS, or at least he thought was ISIS, on the other end would be able to buy mobile messaging accounts to communicate with potential recruits. So I don't think this story is going to have many legs. There were no plots against the subway system or riders. Young appeared in federal court in Alexandria. And at this point, all we have is what prosecutors allege he did. But uh, General Manager Paul Wiedefeld said he took this very seriously, sent out a very strongly worded memo that uh, Young was conspiring to assist a foreign terrorist organization. And actually, the words terrorism and subway system when appear in the headlines will shock people. And this story did come out of left field. Okay, on to the second word you never want to hear associated with a rail system. Derailment. We have more information about what happened at East Falls Church two Fridays ago when an outbound Silver Line train, two of six rail cars, slipped off the tracks in the crossover area between the inbound and outbound side at East Falls Church. Well, the NTSB says that Metro was not properly inspecting the tracks, the crossover tracks, before the derailment. So 
Metro has its mainline tracks. You know, we have a two-track system. Metro standards, you inspect those tracks twice a week. As it turns out, the NTSB found that Metro was only inspecting the crossover tracks once a month, and we don't know when the tracks at East Falls Church were last inspected yet. Also, Metro had records going back to 2009 showing the railroad ties out there had been deteriorating. They were never replaced. And also, Metro violated its own standards when it came to number of consecutive rail ties that were deteriorating. Metro is not supposed to have any more than 12, no more than 12 consecutive deteriorating railroad ties. That situation was also found at East Falls Church by the NTSB. So you add up all those items, and what do you have? Well, another safety incident on Metro Rail. But the important point here is the theme that repeats itself each and every time, it seems, Metro has a safety issue or a safety incident. Procedures were in place. Warning signs were there. They weren't followed up on. So taken together, not the best week for WMATA as it continues with its Safe Track Rebuilding Program, which has already disrupted and inconvenienced thousands of commuters who have been told when we get done with this work, we'll have a more reliable system. While, while it's ongoing, Metro continues to trip up. All right, when we get back, we ask members of our Metropocalypse Facebook group a question. Have you ever lived or traveled in a different city with a better mass transit system? We'll explore what Washington could learn from other rail systems around the world when we continue. DCS Daily. DCS Daily. DCS Daily. It's news, culture, and curiosities. From the district, Tacoma Park, Alexandria, Friendship Heights, Hyattsville, Falls Church, Northeast Washington, DC, in your inbox every weekday afternoon. DCS, DCS Daily. Daily. Sign up at DCS.com slash newsletter. DCS.com slash newsletter. Attention, Metro riders, if you could borrow or steal one feature from another city, what would it be? My name is Simpson Garfinkel, and I've traveled to San Francisco and lived in Boston and traveled to Tokyo. And what all of these systems have that the DC system does not have is that Metro, their metros are a fun, exciting, and warm place to be. They're, they're places to eat, they're places to buy things, they have vendors. To me, Metro is a much less inviting place. It's really a, a long walk to get in, it's a long walk to get out, and, and it's not pleasant. My name is Jessica Huffman. I lived in Madrid as a city abroad student, and the system there is really well designed and implemented. But the one thing that they do that just was phenomenal that I don't think that Metro is doing very fantastically is they run this fantastic set of night buses. So after the system closes, all these night buses line up and you go to the bus that's going to your area. You explain to the driver where you need to go. But what it means is nobody's ever stranded after dark. My name is Joanna Human. I used the New York City subway system for 16 years. There are no zones. Travelers pay only one fare, no matter how short or long their trip. There are no peak travel upcharges. Based on that, I believe the New York City Metro is much superior to the one here. And I'm not even mentioning the never working escalators in D.C. Okay, so the D.C. Metro Rail System has about 700,000 trips a day, or at least it did before the outset of SafeTrack. 
The New York subway system has six million trips per day with a lower flat fare, express rail lines that make single tracking mostly unnecessary, and all the things Metropocalypse listener Joanna Humans just said. So it's easy as we limp through the summer of safe track to cast a look north and wish we had all those bells and whistles. But New York, like Washington and really all the cities we just heard about, is actually dealing with its own maintenance challenges. A subway olapalis, if you will, or a subway apocalypse. So let's compare our battle wounds. Kate Hines is the transportation reporter at WNYC in New York. We we have a lot of problems. They tend to be more financial and uh, we're sort of like a victim of our own success right now. I think that's how the MTA would put it, in that ridership has been booming. You know, over the past 15, 20 years, ridership has been building to a point where the system is basically maxed out. But to purchase, to to put in the new signaling system in place that would allow the MTA to run more trains is fantastically expensive and insanely time consuming. And on the current schedule that the MTA is on, we're decades away from getting it. So we're just, we're sort of at a choke point. We're crushed with riders, but we do not have the same type of red signal overruns and arcing fires that you have in DC. That's very interesting about the signaling system you just mentioned that is necessary to improve capacity in the tunnels. How would that work? Yeah, it's called communication-based train control. Uh, the, the New York City subway signaling system that's in place now is basically the same signaling system that was in place when it opened in 1904. The wayside block system in which trains are allotted a certain amount of space and they can't be within a certain amount of feet of each other. And everything is done manually with relays and people in control towers. So it's slow and bulky and there's a lot of fail-safes built in so trains don't run into each other. But that sort of suppresses speed limits and, of course, limits the amount of trains you can have on the track at any given time. Communication-based train control hands that over to an automated system that would allow trains to operate in more close proximity with each other. We're installing that right now. One of our train lines has it, which is the L line, but somewhat ironically or not, depending on how you want to look at it. The after the L train's CBTC was put in, it then got the tunnel got flooded during Sandy. So the signaling system on the L, even though it has been you know was revamped for tens of millions of dollars years ago, it now will have to be replaced in the next two years. Well, it's too bad. The CBTC, that's the communications-based train control system you mentioned. Right. Metro Rail runs on automatic train control, and its system is still considered to be pretty good. However, it's been running on manual operation since the 2009 Fort Totten crash. I mean, Metro Rail is pretty much at capacity now. Uh, a better signaling system might be able to get some more trains through the tunnels every hour, but not by much. So even as Metro Rail ridership has been declining, trains are still crowded here, but nothing even close to what you're dealing with up in New York. That's just incredible. Six million trips a day. And I've seen news articles and photographs taken from subway platforms where there's literally no room left for anyone. Right. I mean, it, it's. In, I have the. I've done a number of stories that have to look at, at historical ridership trends, and that six million a day. When you look at what it was in the '70s and the early '80s, when the system was really deteriorating, it's almost double. You know, in like 1983, for example, 3.4 million people rode it on an average weekday. So it's 3.3 million in 1991. So it's built up pretty quickly in a pretty short period of time.
So you mentioned the L-Line shutdown. We're dealing with safe track here in D.C. We have single tracking and shutdown of uh, rail line segments between now and next March. But New York City is also dealing with this issue. The L-Line is going to shut down, but not right away in 2019. Why the wait? Right. Well, they have to, because so many people ride the L train every day, it's one of these lines that has seen enormous growth in the past few years. The MTA's plan is to shunt the bulk of the riders over to other subway lines. You know, there, there will be some sort of bus shuttle situation happening, but there's really nothing that can replace the subway system. So the MTA wants to put people on other nearby lines, the J and the M and the Z. But in order to do that, they have to make improvements first to some of those lines. So the, the M line, for example, runs above ground. And some of that track literally needs to be buttressed. It needs to be made stronger so that it can withstand additional trains. So the L can't go out of service until the M is fixed. All right, so there you have it. Even if it really stinks to have your own segment of the blue and yellow or red line shut down for a few weeks, imagine 18 months. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, more with Kate Hines from WNYC. Kate Hines, transportation reporter at WNYC, public radio station in New York City. She's joining us on the Metro Apocalypse podcast. And we're talking and, well, we're sharing stories of commiseration, I guess, right, between the, the subway systems and your city and mine because we get so many complaints about Metro Rail here and why isn't it like this system or that system in any number of cities. But really, the, these problems we've been discussing go across the board, across the country. Transit systems in general are facing capacity issues, funding issues, state of good repair issues, correct? Right. You know, what's interesting is our I, when the New York City subway system began to decline was when it hit somewhere around its 50th, 60th anniversary. And I think that that's the trend that seems to be happening with, happening with DC's metro. It seems to be kind of when systems hit this critical point, and then they have to rethink and readjust and really throw money at maintenance. But in the 50s in New York City, uh, ridership began to decline as, as people left the city, moved to the suburbs, and people bought cars. So the subway ridership is declining, which means fare box revenue is declining, so the MTA doesn't have enough money to put into preventative maintenance, so it stops doing preventative maintenance, so trains break down more frequently, so even more people stop riding the subway. So it was this vicious cycle that went on for years and years, and that wasn't really fixed. It wasn't really dealt with until the late 70s or early 80s. Under Dick Ravitch, who we've spoken to here in Washington about leadership and fixing a failing system. Right. Yeah. He was the man who is credited with putting the MTA on stable financial footing and giving it, you know, reliable sources of revenue and instituting a mandatory preventative maintenance program or really prioritizing preventative maintenance. Because as we've seen time and time again, if you don't do the work on the train and the tracks in advance of when the breakdown happens, you are going to pay for it later. (laughs) It's not going to be pretty. And I recall reading a statistic in one of your reports recently from the Dick Ravitch era before he started to fix things. It was was mind-boggling. Here in D.C., the worst performing rail car series is our 4,000 series rail cars. Mm -hmm. They came online in the early 1990s. Their their breakdown rate is terrible. Uh, 18,000 miles 
you know, mean distance between delays. It's a wonky way of, of measuring, you know, rail car reliability. In one of your reports, you said back in the late 70s, New York City subway cars were failing every 6,000 miles. It's three times worse than the worst metro rail car today. It's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. And now the system, you know, the ever actually MDBF and the New York City subway is starting to trend down a little bit for reasons that um, I can get into. But even, you know, our oldest cars, which are our 32 cars, which run on the C line, I think their MDBF is around 56,000 miles. So these train cars that are half a century old sound like they're doing better than your cars. MDBF, mean distance between failures. There we go. For all of our uh, our transportation nerds in the audience, you know, Kate, we talk a lot about big issues, big picture things, funding, and this or that. But you know, the average commuter wants the train just to show up, have air conditioning when it shows up in the summertime, and get them to work on time. We've been hearing from our riders here in Washington about everything that bothers them and what they'd like to see imported from other cities to be implemented here in Washington. What are subway riders telling you that ticks them off on a day-to-day basis in New York? They hate delays. They absolutely hate it. There's there's a lot of times when things happen and the system gets thrown out of whack. And because the trains are so crowded, it slows down the whole system. It takes people, it takes much longer to board trains and get off trains. So everything gets slowed down and there gets to be delays. Delays are absolutely everyone's number one complaint. They can't stand it. Do you ever hear um, riders say, boy, I was in Washington last weekend and their metro was fantastic? You know, I think people do enjoy DC's metro, although New York, the average New Yorker seems to be a little intimidated by your fare structure system. Like, as I, I, I confess, I still have that, been here four and a half years. I still don't get it. <laughs> I still can't remember. You know, whenever I go to DC and I have to buy a fare card, it takes me a few minutes to really understand what's happening. Because of course, we have a flat fare. You go one stop, you go thirty stops. So it's still two dollars and seventy-five cents. But we feel like your system looks a lot cleaner. We have a lot of trash problems. We have fires on our tracks created by trash. And our platforms are brutally hot in the summer. You know, it's really unpleasant. So we've got old, hundred-year-old infrastructure, a trash problem, slow trains. You know, it's not paradise up here. And another huge difference between the two systems, you have redundancy. DC does not. So that allows for so many different things. Right. Well, of course, our system was built at a time when it was built by private companies. It was not built by the city. The first two segments of the subway were built almost in competition with each other. So that's why they're close to each other. That's why you'll have, say, the A, the C, and the E train running a block away from the IRT, the 1, 2, and 3 train. Um, And the city didn't take it over until decades afterwards. So the redundancy is in part visionary, but also, you know, just sort of like a fact of competition. I'm from New York, and whenever I'm back up there visiting or working, I I always take the subway, and I love it. When you're in D.C., well, first of all, let me ask you, when was the last time you were down here, Kate? Um, I believe it was in... April, and I was worried about the timing of my trip because I was hearing that the, sh- the system was going to be shut down for a period of time, and my trip was coinciding with that, but I got down there a day after um, DC Metro reopened, for which I was very grateful. So you didn't bring home to New York any DC Metro horror stories? No, no. 
I was very lucky. I felt very lucky. And, you know, we don't have, a lot of our system doesn't have countdown clocks. So I still think it's kind of fantastic when I go to D.C. and see the count, your countdown clocks. And then to have those lights flashing when the train is getting ready to come into the station. That's like a fantasy land. Yeah, of course, those countdown clocks lately here in Washington have said things like 18 minutes, 20-something minutes, which can be very, very uh, frustrating, especially on weekends. You know, weekend service on the New York City subway can be confusing, too, because the lines have been switched to different platforms, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, one of the big differences between D.C. and New York is that we are a 24-hour system, which is great for riders, but not so great for the MTA, which has to go through all these machinations when it wants to fix something. It's really hard to take a line out of service, and it's harder still to do work on an active line. So that's why the weekends are so crazy with things, you know, open. Some some stations are open and some aren't. But that was something that is doesn't really reflect the reality of ridership now because now our weekend ridership is booming. You know, subway ridership used to be a really commuter-based time thing, and now more and more people are riding the subways in the so-called off-peak. So it's really an onerous burden for New Yorkers to have the subway so crazy on weekends. Kate Hines is the Metro reporter at WNYC in New York City. Thanks to all the members of our Metropocalypse Facebook group for sharing their commuting experiences around the world. You can join them, too, and get up-to-date news and analysis about Metro from me and the WAMU news team. Next week, we're going back to the history books with author Zachary Schrag, who'll break down the beauty and elegance of Metro's architecture. Yeah, you heard me right. Beauty and elegance on MetroRail. If you enjoyed this episode and felt like you learned something new about this wonderful, frustrating system we rely on, please consider giving us a review on iTunes or tapping the interesting icon on NPR One. Metropocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney, Joe Warminski, Zaid Shorbaji, and John Ogolnik. Andy McDaniel is our director of content. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. All the other music you heard on this episode came from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack, the station's new initiative to showcase great musicians from right here in the Washington region. You heard tracks from Sunwolf, Why Told, and Sriram Gopal. Until next time, I'm Martin DeCaro. Thanks for listening.